stand to build a small lonely hill that he knew would be called Calvary. Then he made the seed that would grow to be thorns that would make his son and amen. I'll tell you what, how many have your soul been thrilled this morning? Amen. I'm telling you, if we don't uh, praise him, the rocks are going to do that, all right? Or the daisies that you'll be pushing up if you don't praise him more. Amen. I'm telling you, it's all right to say amen around here. And Brother Ernie, I can't think of a better selection of songs this morning. And the verse that you picked this morning fits right in my message. You'll understand why. All right. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. I got a lot to do today. A lot to do today. Get your hearing aid turned on extra speed. All right. So that we can make sure we get through this. I, I thoroughly, uh, we're going on vacation and I was telling the crew back here, I Whenever I go on vacation, the, the, the thing that I miss most is the music here at Westside Baptist Church. Though my parents' church, their music is so much like this church that it's, it's a refreshment. It's hard to find churches that sing hymns and talk about him. And so this morning, we exalted him, grace greater than our sin. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. I sing the mighty power of God. 
he grew the tree. Boy, those are great songs that we got to enjoy this morning. Here in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to continue on a little bit next, uh, what we had last week, but I've got a doctrinal truth that you've got to get this morning, all right? A doctrinal truth you've just got to get. Here in Matthew chapter 7, we talked about last time about the straight gates. He brings us up to the Sermon on the Mount, and almost the summation of the Sermon on the Mount is verse 12, about whatsoever you would do to men, do as you'd want done to yourself. And that just sums up all of the law and the prophets. Upon these two laws hangs all the laws that you love God and you love others. And then he comes to a place, and really, you have to make a choice. Love is a choice, by the way, isn't it? Whether you choose to love God or you choose to love others or you choose to love yourself. We always ask ourselves, how well are we doing on that, uh, uh, that scenario? And he gives us, and he talks about these straight gates, and he talks about this Broadway, broad gate. And, and by the way, everybody's on that broad gate. And I like what Brother Turner said to me after the service last Sunday. He says, you know what? The broad gate and the narrow gate have the same sign, this way to heaven. Which one are you going to believe? One's a liar. Isn't that right? There are many people who believe they're on their way to heaven, but they're on the broad way. And there are many religions out there. In fact, he goes in and he talks about, like we did last week, talks about these false prophets. A false prophet is going to bring you another gospel, and the Bible says there is no other gospel. And the other gospels and all of the religions, apart from Christianity, all religions have to do with some tenet religious activity or works. Christianity is the only religion that I know of that is based on the mercy of God and His grace. It is a gift that God wants to give to us. Isn't that amazing? You can sort it all out just in that. You look to see if that religion has some tenets, some sacraments, some things that you've got to do, whether to get to heaven or the third heaven. Hear what I just said? There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And he talks about these false prophets and these tenants. We need to be aware of that. And he talks about this in, in uh, this uh, 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 sermon, and he takes time. Jesus is taking time in the Sermon on the Mount to warn us of these false prophets. And he tells us that they'll put on these sheep's clothing, and so you have to be careful about appearance. The success or the appearance of success doesn't mean that it's successful. When we went over to Rome and saw the cathedrals and everything like that, and when we went to Washington, D.C. also, uh, it just hit me that, that uh, we as human beings like to put on a show. You know, because I was looking at all the elaborate uh, decor of Washington, D.C., and I thought to myself, boy, that seems like a lot of waste of money. And then it hit me. That when we have state dignitaries here, we want to show them how powerful we are. And so it was in churches. They would build these cathedrals and these great uh, mega churches or flashy preachers and personalities with diamond rings on them and 90-foot statues or whatever else would be out there to put on a show. You know, John the Baptist wasn't much to look at. Would you agree with that? We have to be careful about the wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus calls the Pharisees whited sepulcher. This is kind of what I'm going to go into, and he talks about by your fruits you shall know them. That, yes, there's the fruit out there, but in this passage, he really comes down and he refers to the tree. These trees look very, very similar. And yet the fruit can be very similar as well. He's not talking about rotted fruit. But oftentimes, when you bite into the fruit, you find out what kind of fruit it really is, and you discover it. Someone said to me that the worst thing of biting into an apple and finding a worm there is finding half a worm there. <laughs> Christianity is not outside in. It is inside out. If I have a well that is producing uh, water that is contaminated. 
does painting the pump correct the problem? And so it is, oftentimes people feel they put on religiosity through penance, through sacraments, through attire, through whatever, that they will be a Christian. That is not what produces a Christian. A Christian is from the inside out. And sometimes, as a born-again believer, a babe in Christ, sometimes the inside doesn't always reflect to the outside. Is that not correct? The maturing of that fruit will come, and often it comes through that maturity of the believer, some faster, some slower than others. The Puritans used to call people that came to church, and they were kind of like what Matthew 13 talked about, the parable of the sower, where some didn't. I mean, the birds came and ate it, the hard ground, and then some grew up, but because they didn't have deep soil, they died. Or some, because of the cares of the world, the thorns came and choked it out. The uh, Puritans referred to them as temporary believers. People get excited about a personality, someone paying them attention, or, oh, the grandeur of the building. I would hope that no one comes to Westside Baptist Church because of the grandeur of the building. We come to hear truth and the word of God. You need to have excellence in the word of God and excellence in worship. And then we can have excellence in our witness in this world that so desperately needs the Lord. A dog or a pig, uh, a dog returns to his vomit and a pig returns to its swallow. Whitewashing a pig, like we said last week, does not change the pig's nature, right? And so we can come to church, and uh, how can we tell the difference whether a person's saved or not? Just because they join the church or those kinds of things doesn't mean that a person is saved. There are moral people, and people, uh, when I was growing up, if you didn't go to the church, you were a heathen, isn't that right? Even if it went at least Sundays on Easter and Christmas, you were at least, quote, a Christian then, but everybody else was heathen. Uh, going to church, bringing your family to church, why does that person do it? That person might be moral. That person might have a temperament that uh, and an upbringing. It could even become natural because that's a part of a America. See what I'm saying? But that doesn't make a person born again. And so this is going to be bringing us to our <coughs> portion of scriptures here in verses 21 through 23. Uh, morality, church attendance, our morality, our own righteousness is filthy rags in God's sight. Not necessarily in our sight. Understand that we can misjudge the fruit. And so as we come to this next portion, it is important for us to understand that he is continuing a theme out there about this broad way, about these false prophets, and notice what he says. I'm telling you what, these are solemn words that are used here. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we look at this passage of scriptures and that, Lord, that you'll help us to understand what's being said here. And that, Lord, that you would uh, bring a truth to us this morning that might help us to understand uh, these things. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man. Do you see what's happening here in what's being brought out here? They said, We have done all of these things. Now, it is very important for us to know whether we're going to heaven or not. Would you not agree with me that 
you should know where you're going to spend eternity before you die? And you want to make sure that it's right. And not putting your confidence in what your parents told you, what your wife told you, what the pastor told you, or some prayer you made. You need to put your confidence in Jesus Christ. And then the transformed life that he brings to you. Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and the salt lands as not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. You know, I've talked to you time and time again what the word hope means. It is a confident expectation. I can have a confident expectation of Jesus Christ as my Savior. In John, 1 John, it talks about how we can know without a shadow of a doubt that we're going to heaven. It says, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now, you and I need to understand, do we have Jesus? And I would think that how big Jesus is, we should know whether we have him or not. Amen to that? And he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have everlasting life. I know that I know. And we talked last time about some folks and how that after you get saved that sometimes you doubt your salvation. How many have ever doubted their salvation? Can I see your hand? Look around. Just look around. Almost everybody that has asked Jesus Christ in their heart has doubted it. Why? The commonality of the doubt that comes in our hearts after we've accepted Christ is that we'll do something wrong and all of a sudden we'll be convicted and how can I be saved if I just did that wrong? But that's evidence of being born again. You see what I'm saying? I used to steal. I used to lie. I used to curse like a sailor. After I got saved, I couldn't even say a euphemism without being convicted. You know what a euphemism is? It's that which is, they call it misoath. Is that another term for it? It's, it's the idea of something that sounds just like a four-letter word, and you say it. And I tell you what, that conviction. And as you grow in the Lord, guess what happens? How many have discovered that the conviction actually gets greater? Because the light that shines in our soul shines brighter and brighter. It should. It should. It's a part of our process of growth. And so this text is dealing with a, the terrible danger of self-deception, self-delusion. And so we need to be very careful. The evidence and the warning that Jesus gives us here. Number one, it's not based on your terminology. You notice here they say, Lord, Lord. And we even see it passionately because usually when they say Lord and say it twice, there's a, an emphasis there, there's a passion there. As I uh, look at James, and we'll look at this verse again, it's not based on your belief as well. You are not saved by belief. You are saved by faith. Through gra- you are saved by grace. Excuse me. You are saved by grace through faith. All right? We'll show you what I mean by that. Because people believe, I grew up believing in Jesus. In fact, I even asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart when I was 14 years of age. I did not get saved. The evangelist on television says you need to ask Jesus to come in your heart so you don't go to hell. Okay. I asked Jesus to come in my heart. I know he didn't. You know why I know he didn't? Nothing changed in my life. When I was at 15 at camp, I didn't even invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I just accepted him by faith and believed and understood that he died on the cross for my sins. And I want to tell you something. My life changed. Now little children sometimes are tough. And I know some of you have struggled with your assurance of salvation. Because you got saved at 4, 5, 6 years of age. Can a child get saved at 4, 5, 6 years of age? Absolutely. Jesus Christ says you must come unto me as a little child. Simple faith and believing. But notice here. The devil's. He says, thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe, and they what? Tremble. Well, they've got a strong belief. They, by the way, were up there with him in 
heaven before they were kicked out of heaven. They know who he is. The demons believe. Has your faith in Christ changed you? Then you look at here, what they say here is that we prophesied in your names. You know, there are people in the Bible that have delivered spiritual messages. I've heard of preachers getting saved. I've heard of deacons getting saved. You can go along with the verbiage of the church and not be saved. You can have a great education of doctrinal truths. My mother-in-law got saved later on in life. My secretary got saved 65 years of age. Came a time when she realized that she had never repented of her sins and put her faith in Jesus Christ. But notice here, works isn't what saves you. Listen, this is not about bad people and good people. Do you notice that? They're saying, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied in your name. These are people who are going out there and using the name of Jesus Christ and telling others about Jesus Christ. Can a lost person lead someone else to Jesus Christ? Yes. You know why? Because the power is not in the person. The power is in the word of God and the Holy Spirit. So we see this. They prophesied. We see the Pharisees going out there and handling the spiritual things of God, and yet they were as lost as skunks, most of them. How about Balaam in the Old Testament when he prophesied about Israel there? He stood up and he blessed them. Was Balaam saved? Yes or no? Absolutely not. King Saul even prophesied. Even the devil uses scripture. Oh, Lord, how do I know that I know? We're going to get into that. Works does not say. They cast out devils. I don't know about you. I'm not sure I've ever cast out a devil or a demon in my life, except when a person gets saved, the devil leaves. <laughs> Amen to that. I've had encounters with demons. Scary. I've had encounters in church. They say, we've cast out demons. Ah, you know, Jude was a part of the twelve. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Again, we understand that the power of demons leaving is not in a person, but in Jesus Christ. Interesting. These are things that theologians need to think about and ponder. We saw the sons of Sceva trying to cast out demons, but it didn't work out well for them. How about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Talking about in the Old Testament, there Jamus and Jambres, Jamus and Jambres withstood Moses. So do these also resist the truth. Jamus and Jambres copied the miracles that Aaron and Moses were doing in front of Pharaoh. Do you all know the story there? Yes? They were able, through demonic influences, to copy Men of corrupt mind, reprobate concerning the faith. How about in Second uh, Thessalonians, talking about the end times? And boy, I'm telling you what, we're living in the end times. And it is very important for us that just because we see some religious acts and things of miracles taking place, it doesn't mean that it is from God. Here in Second Thessalonians 2.9, it says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, talking about the Antichrist, with he's going to have all power and what? Signs and lying wonders. It's not talking about wonders that lie. It's talking about these amazing things that they're able to accomplish. We even see, was it the beast that had his head cut off in the book of Revelation and they stick it back on? Listen, folks, we need to discern truth from error, right from wrong, yes or no. And that's why God says in Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
We don't need church less. We need church and we need our devotions and we need to get in the Word of God and we need to make sure we know what the truth says. It's not about what religion you grew up in. It's about what does God say in His Word. We need to be that. We need to understand that. And then, you know, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, I want us all to understand something. A man, and what Jesus is saying here about these folks that have done all these things, you need to recognize what they're saying. Lord, we have done these things, therefore we are going to heaven. They are trusting in their works. Good works? Absolutely. But trusting in their works. And we need to understand, and I'm sure all of us understand this, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. If you could work for it, it wouldn't be a gift. Is that not correct? So we need to, we all understand this very clearly, right? If I were to say to you, uh, Brother Ben, how do you know you're going to heaven? And if Brother Ben came back to me and he says, well, because I'm looking at joining Westside Baptist Church, and he is, praise God. All of a sudden, a red light would go off. Or if I say to someone else, like Vern, and I say, Vern, how do you know you're going to heaven? He says, well, man, I pick up Rose and, and bring her to church every Sunday. Red light goes out. I say, how do you know you're going to heaven? You say, it is because of the mercy and grace of God, and I have put my faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Woohoo! Glory! You see what I'm saying? Glory. So right now, you need to ask yourself, what are you trusting in to get to heaven? This is why he brings this passage out here. It's not because of them calling him Lord and Lord and doing all these things like this and being a part of a religious system. It's that they're trusting in their works. Verse 9 says, not of works, lest what? Any man should boast. Now, before I read verse 10, I want us all to understand very clearly the gift of God is salvation through grace. Amen to that? Where does works come in? Works comes in after you're saved. Don't get the cart before the horse. But don't leave the cart out. Does that make sense? He says, you got saved. And now you're his workmanship. The word there comes from the Greek word, which means a post. God has created in you his workmanship. Now that you've been born again, he's put his Holy Spirit in you. He's put spiritual gifts in you. He's given you personalities and talents. He has a plan for you. He says you have been created. Now that you have been saved, now that you're created in Jesus Christ, now that you've been born again, you've been created for good works. Does that make sense? Ah, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. All right. So, let's turn to James. I'm going to look at a passage, and um, you've got to stay with me. Will you stay with me today? Shoot anybody that leaves, all right, please, ushers. All right, no, I'm kidding you. <laughs> James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. God doesn't make mistakes. God is not inconsistent in the scriptures. He's bringing out a marvelous truth here in James to help us to know that truly Jesus Christ is inside because there will be the works that follow salvation. I want to read this to you, and many of you are familiar with this passage, but there's a word in here that, Brother David, it just stopped me in my preparation for my sermon, and I am so glad it did. How many times have we read the scriptures and we talked about things, and we just talk about it and what we've heard in the past, and yet we've never gone into the scriptures to find out what that word means? What I'm going to get to 
is the word justify or justification. We're going to talk about that. And I think it's going to tie together this whole aspect of how do you know you're saved or not. Amazing truth. Here in verse 14, he says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and he has not works? Can faith save him? If your brother or a sister be naked and destitute daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not these, those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. He's using an illustration here, and make don't put too much into that illustration. He's using an illustration that when you see something that needs to be accomplished, and here in this passage, it's someone who needs financial help. And because we have the Holy Spirit inside us, the Holy Spirit can say, come alongside and help that person. But if you don't, what's the profit of just saying, hey, go out, be warm, and be filled? The idea is that God will lead us, and we've been spending a long time on Wednesday nights talking about being spirit-led. And that's one of the evidences of being born again. The spirit speaks to your heart and tells you what to do, tells me what to do. I love it, don't you? He tells you what to do. Do you all love it when God talks to you? Amen? I hope so. My sheep hear my voice. So I... Now, be careful. I try to lay a good foundation here so that as we go into this passage, you'll understand it. He says in verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Now, this is the key. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, if I really believe that Jesus Christ gave his life as a sacrifice, died on the cross, forgave me of all my sin. I now belong to him. I'm going to show my belief by the way I live. I believe my belief. Does that make sense? I believe my beliefs. By the way, do we believe that if a man dies without Jesus Christ, he goes to hell? I ask this question. Do we believe our beliefs? Tragically, Brother Ken, most don't. Or else they would be out there knocking on the streets or passing out Bibles like the Gideons and sharing their faith with people around and engaging souls for the kingdom because everybody's going to die someday and face eternity. Is that not correct? So I can have beliefs. But my belief is very surface-oriented, and it doesn't come to my heart. But I tell you what, when, when you get a belief in your heart, it becomes real, it becomes powerful, it grows, it matures, it develops. Okay, let's go on. He says, again, the, the, uh, there, thou believest that there is one God. Now, now, James is talking to a church here of believers, persecuted believers, believe it or not. He says, thou dost well, and, and, and the devils also believe and tremble. We've already talked about that verse. But wilt thou know, O vain person, empty person, that faith without works is what? Dead. Now, verse 21. This gets interesting. Was not Abraham our father Justified by works. Oh, oh, stop the horses. Isn't that right, Brother Turner? Stop the horses. Justified by works. Now, that doesn't fit my little ditty of my definition of justification. You know, how many have heard that that uh, terminology? Justification is just as if I had never sinned. Okay, that is not the definition of justification. Okay, 
We need to be careful how we use theological words and how the Bible uses theological words. And I'll show you what I mean by that, a marvelous study. Let me finish reading this passage. He says, seest thou that faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. So he answers it here. He says, yeah, there's a, there's a faith here, and it was, it was matured by what he did. Does that make sense? The word perfect means mature, makes complete. My salvation and asking Jesus Christ to come in my life, the terminology of being born again means it starts, but it continues through good works. All right? So he then goes, uh, where was I? What verse are we on? And 23. The scriptures was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God. All right, I catch it. So in here, you don't want to get mixed up in your theology. He believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Got it? Imputation is means that we exchange our sinful nature, or excuse me, our sin, and he put in Jesus Christ's righteousness into our souls. Does that make sense? That's what imputation is. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Wow. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot. Uh, we're going to be studying Rahab the harlot this morning in our Sunday school. Isn't that right, Pastor Nathan? Everybody but the young at heart. We're one lesson behind. We're a little slow in the young at heart, but we'll get there. When she had received the message... And had sent them out and another way. In other words, Rahab believed that the God of Israel was a true God. And she showed her faith by what she did. For the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. All right. So now I raised my eyebrows when I read this passage. And I said, man, something. I need to go find out what does the Bible mean by justified. By the way. We all do this word, and you'll understand what I mean. The word justification has a practical use and a doctrinal use. Does that make sense? It has a practical use and a doctrinal use. Now, the definition of justification, listen to this, it means to render righteous or... Such as he ought to be. Ponder that. Or what he ought to be. To declare, pronounce, one to be just or righteous or of such he ought to be. Okay? Now, you say, Pastor, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. We're going to go all the way back to the probably the very first book of the Bible that might help us to understand. It's not Genesis, but probably the very first book that was written was Job. When you study the book of Job, you'll find a righteous man being accused of being unrighteous. And so he brings up his defense to justify himself. Got it? So... What we have here is, so we ask, who or what is doing the declaring? Is it God who's doing the declaring righteous? Or is it man? I'm righteous. Listen, this is what gets so many people in trouble thinking they're going to heaven because they believe that they're good and they justify themselves before God that they're going to go to heaven because they haven't shot somebody. Does that make sense? This is what, when you're witnessing to people, and you're sharing your faith, and say, how do you know you're going to heaven? They say, well, I'm a member of Westside Baptist Church. They are justifying themselves their works. And by the way, words justify. They justify truth and they also justify error. Correct? Just like if my words can justify truth or error. So justifying myself doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. 
but also our works justify, which we saw here in Abraham about there. So now let's look at these words. So I went through the Bible and looked at these words. And so you're going to hopefully catch what I understand here. Should not the multitude of words be answered? In other words, when there's accusations and there's things coming away, and should a man full of talk be justified? All right? In other words, if I said to Brother Frank, I says, you know, I, I really don't think you love God and, 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 and every, or let's, let's do it this other way. Brother Frank, you do love God. I know you love God. That's a great thing. My words are justifying him. It could be true or it could be false. Is that not correct? See what I'm saying? And so here in the book of Job, remember this. The book of Job is so much about people talking, right? Friends that come to Job and Job defending himself. And truly, no one was really on the same page here. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 18. Behold now, I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Job is saying here, he says, you know what? I know when I die, I'll be justified. Can we say that today? Can, can you say that today? Absolutely. Mike, can you say that today? I know I'll be justified when I die because I have Jesus Christ in my heart. So this communication is just as good as the truth behind that communication. Look at look what his friends answered there after much communication. Verse chapter 32, this kindled the wrath of Elihu. The son of Barakah, and, uh, the Buzzite. Boy, wouldn't you like to be called a Buzzite, huh? <laughs> of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. So people can say things. And here his friends are saying, oh, you're just justifying yourself. Someone accuses you of something, you just justify yourself. You know, oftentimes, we all do this, don't we? Listen, we can justify ourselves if we're mad at somebody and we stay mad at them. I'm not going to forgive that person. And you justify it because you have a superior knowledge. Right or wrong? See, there's the right use of the word. There's the wrong use of the word. There are many of us who have justified our lack of spiritual growth because we make excuses. We justify where we are with God because we make excuses. And if we get in the habit of making excuses, like one man said, he says, I've never found a man who was good at making excuses that was good at anything else. I need to be honest with myself. I need to be honest with my relatives and my friends. Amen to that? Going on, Psalm, and enter not to the judgment with thy servants, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. He's using here this idea that you try to justify yourself based on yourself. And by the way, when he says, judge not that you be not judged, guess who's the, 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 the judge? Who's the justifier? See what I'm saying? We have to be very, very careful. You know, it's easy to criticize other people, isn't it? You put yourself as the justifier. Sometimes you step in people's authority that you should not be stepping in. We carry with us attitudes sometimes that are very poor, and we just justify it. I'm going to tell you something. You rob yourself of so many blessings. I rob myself of so many blessings. I need to catch myself. How about you? Catch it quick. Jeremiah 3.11, and the Lord said unto me, the backslidden Israel <coughs> hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. See what I'm saying? Here, Israel say, hey, we're God's people. Judah said, no, we're God's people. Both of them were treacherous and backslidden, you see what I'm saying? But they were trying to one-up on the other person. Matthew 12, I, I love this passage. It really gets us to understand this idea of verbally saying, I'm a good person in God's sight. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account, therefore, in the days of judgment. 
Did you know that, and that's why, Ernie, I love the passage that you picked out there in Psalm 139, verse 4. There you are, Ernie. I love that passage. Does God hear every word? Well, I ought not to curse in front of the preacher. And yet we'll justify using miss oaths or four-letter words or anything when we're out and excuse my French. Why don't you say to God, God, excuse my French. See what I'm saying? He says we're going to be held in, and listen to what verse 37 says. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now who you are in public and private, God knows. And he says we're going to be held accountable for the words that we use. I don't know about you, but that should stop me. I need to grow up. Make sure my words are glorifying to him because he hears every word. Now, this passage here. Well, I, I think I'm going to get to this passage. We're just going to go through all these passages. How's that sound? And all the people, oh boy, we're running out of time. Then all the people that had heard him and the publicans, they justified God. That's interesting, isn't it? They realized who God is. And they declared properly who God is being baptized with the baptism of John the Baptist. Ah, here's that. Ah, here's that passage. Y'all catch this one, all right? Pay attention. You might want to write this one down. Luke 18, 9 through 14. I think it epitomizes the this what we're talking about. He says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Did you get that message this morning? Matthew chapter 7. Depart from me, you accursed, because you are trusting in your works. You are trusting in yourselves. He spake a parable. He doesn't want people to trust in themselves. He wants people to trust in him. And that's simple salvation. Trust in his works. He says, trust in themselves that they were righteous. They were declaring themselves to be right. They were declaring themselves to be just and despised others. Look at how we carry our Bibles. Look at how we are on the outside. Two men went up to the temple to pray. A Pharisee and the other a publican. What's a publican? Tax collector. Did Pharisees and publicans get along well? Not too many people get along with the IRS. Isn't that correct? He says the Pharisee stood. I love this phrase. The Pharisee stood and he prayed with himself. <laughs> Ever felt like you're praying with yourself? You know, even... In our prayers, we can try to justify ourselves before God. Well, God, I would not have sinned if that person hadn't have done that. Well, God, you know about my upbringing, and that's why I'm failing and struggling so much. He prayed with himself. Notice what he says. He says, I, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this IRS-agent. Verse uh, 12 says, I fast twice in a week. You get this? I, I, I. You all get it. We got it this morning. I, I, oh, I, I, I give tithes. Is there anything wrong with fasting? That's good works. You see, well, all we've been looking at oftentimes in this today is all those that are doing all these good works, but they're trusting in their good works. He says, I tithe. Nothing wrong with tithing. I believe that a person ought to give, and a good starting point is the Old Testament minimal requirement. Did you hear what I just said? Somebody, I don't believe in tithe. Well, I hope you believe in giving more than the Old Testament minimal requirement. But we don't do it to get to heaven. We don't do it to get on the board of deacons. We do it because we love God and we're spirit-led. Amen to that? I didn't mean to get off on that. I got to run. He says, and the publican, <clears throat> he stands afar off. He wouldn't even as much as lift up his eyes. And you see him down there on the ground. And, 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 he, and, and it says, uh, and he smote himself on the breast saying, God, God. Be merciful. 
merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, who's telling them? Jesus Christ. This man went down to his house justified because he knew he was a sinner and he cried out for God's mercy. That's how a man gets saved. He puts his faith in God, not in himself. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, we used to have old-fashioned altar calls when gospel was presented, and people would come forward to the altar, recognizing that they were sinners. But Jonathan Edwards preached a, a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. They say when he first preached that, he actually read it. He was so blind that he had to read it like this. But people were in their pews grabbing the front of the pews and holding on to it for fear that they would fall into hell. Came forward before even the altar call. God speaks to our hearts. There's nothing wrong with coming to an altar. Amen to that. And if this morning you're not saved, don't trust yourself, but put your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen? Oh. Definition. To render righteous, that would be God, correct? Or such as he ought to be, that would be me. To declare, pronounce one to, to be just or righteous, that would be God. Or such ought to be, that would be me. See what I'm saying? And so we come to the conclusion of this, which is now the doctrinal New Testament aspect of this. And I need to run real quickly. As you get in now to the, the, the book of doctrines, here he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, being purchased is Jesus Christ. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Can I hear a hearty amen to that? Goes on, Romans 4.2, if, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath therefore to glory, but not before God. Now understand how James uses it and how Paul uses it here. James uses it as it shows that Abraham had works that showed his faith. Here, Abraham was born again because of his faith in God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, and uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, no other way to get to heaven. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Amen and amen. Romans 8.30 says, moreover, whom he did predestine, them he called, whom he called, he also uh, justified, and whom he justified, guess what he's going to do with them? He's going to glorify them. Someday, we'll be glorified brought up in the very presence of the Lord. Just a couple more verses. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing this, that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Do we, got, do we all got it? I mean, I've used a lot of verses this morning. This is throughout the scriptures. So there's no uh, confusion here. Even we have believed in Jesus. But it says, let me read that over again. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by works of the law. For the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I would hope that message is loud and clear. Simple, simple, simple. Self-justification? How would you like to hear those words in eternity? I never knew you. Someday, every one of us will stand before God. If you are putting your faith in yourself or a church or a man, that's self-justification. Put your faith in who? Jesus Christ. I never knew you. 
Oh, this is an interesting passage, Galatians 5, 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. What that means is instead of embracing grace and God's mercy, you've let it go and you're in love with yourself. Marvelous May I conclude with this? I can say Mike's a great guy. I can say Lorene's a wonderful lady and all those things. But hearing it from God himself, the creator of the universe, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Gary, God says, I am the one who justifies you. You think his word, you can go to bank on that? You're going to go through church with that. Heads about and eyes are closed. Our time has ran by quickly, and there's a big doctrinal message here, but I want to ask you this morning. Number one is that you should have thrill in your soul if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you know you're going to go to heaven. If you don't know that, where do you sit? Why don't you, like that publican, cry out to him and say, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe this morning say, Oh, God, this morning... The message was so clear about how to get to heaven, and I've not put my faith in Jesus. I put, Well, maybe I have, but I've never invited him into my heart to save me and to trust in him and what he did on the cross. And I'm not going to trust in anything that I do. I'm going to trust in you to be my Savior. Why don't you invite him into your heart right now? We're going to sing a song, Just As I Am. Just As I Am. Don't get the cart before the horse. I've had people say, well, you know, I want to give up smoking or I want to give up drinking, then I'll get saved. No, 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 no. Get saved. Let God change your life and let him do the work of righteousness in your life that he wants to do. Well, I need to start going to church. I'm going to tell you something. If I had that, I was going to start going to church before I got saved. I never would have gotten saved. God saved me. Then I started going to church. Started praying. Got rid of those awful words. Because now those words and those works are out there which shows us what's inside of us. Oh, I say, I struggle with some things. Yes, praise God that you recognize that. <laughs> the question is, are you trusting in Jesus Christ to get you to heaven? Let's stand to our feet as we sing, just as I am. If you need to get saved today, invite him into your heart. Before you leave, you can come to this altar or speak with us before you leave. Let's sing it together, just as I am. Just as have heads bowed as Pam plays it one more time through. Did you say, God, I want to come to you? I don't have any pleas. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ shed his blood. You're bidding me to come. Today I open my heart inviting you into my life. I hope you'll tell someone about that. Maybe after the service, I know I got home from camp and I told the whole church that I got saved. Told my mom and dad. Told my grandma. Oh, I tell you what. You get Jesus in your heart. You want to talk about him. He changes your vocabulary. He changes your words. Not to glorify yourself, but to glorify him. I want to please you, Lord. Thank you for the decisions made today for your glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen and amen. Thank you for spending an extra five minutes. But I'm going to tell you something. If one person this morning gets saved, don't you think that five minutes is worth it? We got some new members in our church. Pearl Lumen. Where's Pearl? I think I saw her here. Would you raise your hand, Pearl? She's over there. She's got both hands up. There's Pearl. 
And then Sandy and Glenn Cook, are they here this morning? I don't know about, oh, they're there, they're in the back. Wave up over there. You know, we'll turn into a Pentecostal church around here. We raise both hands there. And then we've got uh, uh, Faye Lynn. Where's Faye Lynn? Where's she? Right over here. Faye Lynn. And then Becky Troxel. Where's she? Right over here. If you're glad for their decisions to join Westside Baptist Church, they've been saved, they've been baptized, they've gone through the new members' orientation. If you'd like to say amen to that, say amen. amen. Welcome aboard. May God cause us to go and glorify him together. Well, as you leave, there's a meeting today for lunch for those working in the nursery and the Valentines. You'll get all these in the uh, bulletin. Sunday, or excuse me, Wednesday, we're starting a new series. So Wednesday, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and it's an apologetics defending your faith, how you can share your faith with others. And when people bring up arguments about who God is and how he does things and everything like Apologetics is going to help you with that this Wednesday, Charlotte. Then there's all those sign-up lists. There's a day of prayer. It's in a week and a half. Missions conference is in two weeks from today. And there's meals needed, housing, desserts, and breakfast, and all that kind of stuff. It's out there. Sign up and help us with all the things that are taking place. Amen to that? God's good. Well, we've come to worship the Lord this morning. Let's sing this as we conclude the service. To worship you. Oh, Father, thank you that we can. <laughs> 